Hey everyone, welcome back to My Take, a podcast that discusses current events in nutrition, the business side of the health and fitness industry, and a little bit of everything in between. On today's show, we're going to be talking about what affects our longevity, how to never lose another customer, determining your non-negotiables, and why career capital is built over decades, so don't stop working on it. Let's get into the show. All right, diving straight into the nutrition insight. This is going to be less of a nutrition-specific insight and a little more of like a general health human longevity discussion. And this is really just going to be setting the stage um, for kind of a, a series of discussions that we're going to have over the next couple of weeks or months. And this is really just kind of keying in on this idea of how do we live longer um, and how do we live longer? How do we live better longer? And so I just want to set the stage today and really just talk about like what are the things that actually affect longevity, basically like how long we live on this planet. And I think it's something that requires more nuance and detail than most people actually probably think about. A lot of us just think about, hey, how do we live longer and what does that mean? And so I want to kind of just give you guys some initial insights to kind of set the stage for the next several uh, discussions we're going to have over the next month or so on this. So, you know, recent advances in our understanding of biology, nutrition, exercise, and medicine have really begun to unlock a deeper understanding of what actually makes us live longer, right? Scientific advances in medicine, especially over the last hundred years, um, you know, have increased the lifespan of humans from 30 to 50 years in the 1400s to 70 to 80 years in our present day. And most of the advances um, that increase longevity during this time frame were focused primarily on treating acute illnesses, right? We have antibiotics, we have advances in surgery, and we have things like just improving nutritional status, right? Very few people die now from a minor infection, things that can be fixed, you know, with surgery, um, and very few people die of malnutrition. However, there may be a plateau for the current approaches to longevity, right? And that's kind of evidenced as the stall in improving human lifespan. So those initial things we did to improve longevity have probably kind of run out the road of what they can do for human longevity. And so improving a longevity past the current point will likely require a different approach, right? One that is more proactive, that's focused more on preventing disease, slowing biological aging, and increasing the number of healthful years you live rather than just trying to treat diseases as they arise. And so nutrition, you know, is definitely one of the most obvious places to look for ways to prevent disease and slow aging. So as we think about that from just a nutritional perspective, we need to talk about the main ways that we can think about longevity and right just to put a point on it, how many years you live on this planet and there's no perfect way to know how long you're going to live, right? Human life in our modern environment is incredibly complicated and we're not always able to predict people's lifespan, right? People's lifespan can be cut short due to freak accidents, uncontrollable and unpredictable diseases, or there's other things that are not always directly controllable, 
right? However, when we remove those things, there's several factors that we know that we've identified that directly impact longevity. So the three main things that actually affect longevity, as we can think about them today, are disease, biological aging, the like actual process of aging, and then what we'll call health span, right? Health span is kind of tied into disease and biological aging, but I actually think it's its own category because there's there's things on top of just disease and biological aging that go into health span. Now, disease is probably the most understood aspect of longevity. And as we know, the leading causes of death, you know, we know what they are and what contributes to the risk of developing diseases, those diseases specifically. And our understanding of biological aging is still kind of in its infancy, and we're learning more every day about what causes us to age and how to intervene. And health span is now becoming a major focus of research as we're learning that the longer you're able to stay active, healthy, and avoid any form of disease, the longer you'll live. So when we think about disease, specifically as it relates to longevity, it can be divided into kind of two categories, right? Diseases that we have some level of control over and diseases that we have almost no level of control over, right? Diseases that shorten lifespan which we have no level of control over are things like genetic diseases, right? Um, muscular dystrophy, uh, cystic fibrosis, Huntington's disease. And then there's certain forms of cancer which are like truly due to random chance, right? Not any sort of lifestyle-based things that we do. Now, diseases that shorten lifespan that we have a very high level of control over are things like uh, heart disease, diabetes, uh, obesity, things like that. And it turns out that these types of diseases, the ones that we have a high level of control over, are the ones that are primarily responsible for responsible for death amongst most people, right? Things like stroke, diabetes, heart disease, Alzheimer's are all in the top eight leading causes of death. And that means that reducing these non-communicable preventive diseases preventable diseases is one of the best ways to increase someone's longevity. So now let's talk about biological aging and just kind of set the stage for that. This refers to kind of the natural biological processes that occur in the human body that cause us to age. Now, while biological aging can be a very complex topic, there's kind of a simple way to think about it. As time passes, there are irreversible processes that occur in your body that make your body less able to repair itself, right? Your DNA slowly decays, your cells accumulate molecular junk inside of them, and your tissues change such that they cannot be restored to their original function, right? Think about it like scar tissue, right? Yes, your body can close a wound, but the skin is not quite the same in that spot, right? That's kind of an irreversible change. And the same thing applies kind of at the smallest level of your body, Now, while biological aging is currently an inevitable process, there are ways that you can slow down biological aging. And there's two kind of main conceptual ways to think about that. The first is you reduce the amount of damage that you expose your body to, right? You can't scar if you don't have an injury. The second is you can increase the capacity and robustness of your body's repair systems so that they can try and maintain things the best that they can. Sort of like think about it like building a house, right? The best way to make sure your house lasts a long time is to not expose it to fire, hail, hurricanes, etc. 
and then make sure you actually complete the routine maintenance on your house. Now, health span, and this is one of the less discussed aspects of longevity, this really, you know, this measures the period of your life spent in good health, kind of free from chronic disease and disabilities of aging. Now, generally, your health span often has a direct effect on your lifespan, especially when it relates to reducing the risk of chronic disease and delaying their onset. And health span is one of those things that's primarily affected through lifestyle modification, right? Diet, exercise, smart supplementation, and reducing exposure to things like pollution, smoking, drinking, illicit drug use, etc. So all three of these things are really going to impact how long we live and how long we live well. Um, and those are the areas that we're going to kind of talk about over the next couple of months. But I just wanted to kind of set the stage and give you guys just kind of those three concepts to think about, right? Disease, biological aging, um, and health span. So we will take a quick break. That's going to set the stage for the next couple of months. Um, but we'll take a quick break and we'll come back to the business insight. All right, business insight. We're going to talk a little bit about one of the most important parts of running any business, especially a service-based business, is how to lower client churn. Uh, If you really think about it, your ability to grow is mostly constrained by your ability to keep clients. If you never lost a single client and you added three clients a month every month, which is not that many, right? Like that's a very small client acquisition. Um, If you added three clients a month, every month for 10 years, like you would have a, and you never lost a single client, you would have a massive multi, multi multi-million dollar business after a decade, right? That's just pumping out money. So when we think about client churn, right? There's a lot of ways to think about it. And, if you look at a lot of the books that teach you about like how to, how to keep clients, you know, they'll teach you like, Hey, here's how you structure contracts and how you lock people into a service. Right. Um, here's how you sell people a long-term contract that keeps them here for X amount of months. Um, you know, kind of even going further, they'll be like, Hey, instead of billing monthly, you bill every four weeks. So you get an extra, you know, pay period in a year. So you extract a little more money out of your clients. Uh, they'll talk about how you can make it hard for them to cancel, right? Like if you look at, I remember trying to cancel Xbox Live back in like 2004. It was impossible. Like you just couldn't cancel it. Um, they'll talk about, you know, how to downsell them to something cheap so they don't notice it on the credit card statement anymore. Um, you can build a planet fitness model where 80% or more of your clients are zombie clients, right? You just make the cost so low that they don't really care if they show up or not. And, I just don't think any of those are actually how you lower churn in your business. I think those are ways to extract more dollars out of your clients before they leave, but that's not really lowering churn, right? That is, that's just not the best way to do it. And so I want to talk about things that go as far in the opposite direction of those. 
And when I think about it is lowering client churn boils down to a singular idea. It's make your service so good or useful that they can't live without it. And I think there's fundamentally a few ways to do that. One is you have to actually solve the client's problem, right? The first place you want to start when you think about client churn is remember that your business is about your clients and not you. You know, as entrepreneurs, we often get super focused on ourselves and what we're doing and how amazing our business is, is we forget why our business actually exists and it's to help people. And so one of the best things you could do is ask yourself on a daily basis, what can I do to ensure that my service is actually solving my clients' problems and consistently improve and update your service to solve their problems? Because as your business grows and evolves, or as your client's journey with your business grows and evolves, your client's problems may change. This may be the result of changing demographics, um, you start marketing to different type of clients, or maybe the world changes and your client's needs change. So let's take a a marketing agency, for example. If you ran a marketing agency in 2005, your clients probably had needs to figure out how to utilize Google AdWords to market their business online. By 2010, your clients' needs probably had you know, needs for both Google AdWords and this new crazy ad platform that came out called Facebook Ads. You know, Going even further, they probably didn't just have a problem making and running the ads. They probably had problems understanding if the ads were working. So you probably needed to build ways to track ad data and report them to your clients. Right, you could even go even deeper. It's like the clients of that marketing agency probably weren't exactly sure what their customer acquisition funnel looked like across their entire business. So you probably needed to build tools to help your clients see exactly where their clients were coming from, how efficient the process was, and what processes their sales team should be focusing on. So focus on actually solving the client's problem. Like the best way to maintain a client is to continue solving their problem. You know, the next one is make your product so good or so important that they can't live without it. (laughs) And I remember, you know, this kind of reminds me of a funny conversation I had uh, with my wife. And this is kind of a normal conversation in our house. And I was having a conversation with her and I basically said, hey, uh, how long do you think we would live if, like, the zombie apocalypse happened or if, like, nuclear winter happened? And my wife's only real response was, would Target still be open? Because, like, if there's no Target and I'm just walking around, like, I refuse to live in a world without Target, right? I kind of had a good laugh about that because that's just, I mean, (laughs) it's probably a real response, but also a funny response is, like, that's actually the main goals of any business, right, is the way you create sticky clients is to make your product or service so good that people would rather walk into a zombie horde than live without it, right? And that's a great quote or soundbite and a lofty goal. But like, how do you actually do that? And those are the questions you should be asking yourself, right? Is how do I make my service so good that my clients literally can't live without it? Like they'd have to recreate it in their own business if something happened to you. So some concepts that can be helpful with that is... You know, focus on growing your business with your customers, not just growing your customer base, right? As you continue to evolve and the world evolves, like how can you adjust your business to continue to serve the client's needs as you find new needs arise, 
right? You augment your current service. You build the next product or service that you know you're going to need. Another way is create a community, right? As people have massive loyalty to brands that invest in them. And so if you can create loyalty and longevity, that is an amazing way to kind of keep your clients around. And so those are kind of the two main things to think about as you're thinking about client churn, right? Is how do you actually solve the client's problems? How do you make your solution so good they can't live without it? And how do you continue to grow with your customers and not just adding more customers to the bottom line? All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back to the last segment of the show. All right, diving into the last segment. Uh, what am I learning today? And this is the caption here. The the line here is determine your non-negotiables and then let everything else fall into place after that. And I think this is one of those things that I struggle with a lot um, because I try to do so many things all the time and, and continue to push forward and grow and I'm kind of focused on a lot of those things. And it's very easy to lose sight of like, what are your non-negotiables, right? What are the things that actually matter to you? Is it your health? Is it, you know, your relationships? Is it your financial success? Is it your career success? Is it just try to figure out exactly what your non-negotiables are and then just build everything else around that, right? If it's going to the gym, schedule that in your calendar. If it's having an amazing relationship with your family, prioritize that and then let everything else fall into place. If it's, you know, having career success, prioritize that and then let everything else fall into place. And really just make sure that you have decided what your non-negotiables are and index on that. I'm a big believer of, I don't think anybody can tell you what you need to index on. I think you get to make that choice. But if you are going to index on it, make sure you actually decide that's your non-negotiable and stick to it and just don't let everything else kind of get cloudy and muddy. And so you're actually doing everything and not doing the one thing that actually matters. Uh, Daily win. (laughs) This is a daily win, but it's also just daily extra work, which I just talked about what my non-negotiables were, or that you should determine your non-negotiables. I was asked to write an editorial for a journal. Um, I did, I did my uh, PhD work in a lab where we actually focused on, um, pathological cardiac hypertrophy and have done some work in the cardiovascular space. And I was asked to review a paper on exercise and atrial fibrillation. And so I reviewed that article um, and they actually asked me to write an editorial to accompany the paper uh, in a journal, Trends in Cardiovascular Medicine, which I published a review paper back in, I think, 2015 in that journal. Um, So this will be my year. Oh, my God. It's been almost a decade since that publication came out. So this will be my near-decade editorial, my near-decade-later editorial that will come out in that journal. So I'm actually working on that this weekend. Um, It's kind of interesting to write editorials as you you get to kind of give your opinion on an article that was published. But with great power comes great responsibility. So I have to do a good job at that. And then the daily learning lesson is, you know, career capital is built over decades. So don't stop working on it. I had a I had a call with a colleague this week just randomly to catch up. We just kind of 
just said, hey, let's just jump on a call. We talked for probably about an hour, um, which, you know, if you think in our world, an hour of somebody's time for free is super valuable. And just had a really good conversation. And we kind of talked about, you know, just our careers and and where we've been and what we've done and what we're going to do next. And I was just thinking, you know, during that conversation of like how many people I've seen come and go in this industry and, you know, how there's very few people left who have done meaningful things and have actually kind of quote made it. Um, I still don't feel like I've made it. I still feel like I have just scratched the surface and have so much more to, to try to do. But, you know, career capital is built over decades, right? It's not like you can make Facebook posts for a year and everybody loves you. And then that's all you have to do is you have to just like continue to build that equity in your career. And so for me, that means like I'm still giving talks. I'm still doing free uh, presentations for online summits that I don't get paid anything for. Sometimes they'll offer you like, hey, you get a commission if you use your referral link and people download and pay for uh, the talks, you know, we'll get to cut your commission check. Uh, what's been interesting is to date, I've taken every one of those offers and said, you just keep the commission. I would rather just do it and let it let it build some, some value for people. Um, that may change in the future, but uh, th- that's what I've always done to date. And so... You know, you just you have to continue to build that capital. There's never any point in your career where you've made it and you can kind of rest on your laurels, right? You have to continue to read and learn. Um, you have to continue to evolve your ideas. You have to continue to create content, to pour into your leadership teams, to do all those things. And, you know, there's been periods of my career where maybe I've done a little bit less of that and focused internally. And then there's been periods where I've focused more on that and done less internally. And so it's just one of those things where you just have to kind of keep that in mind. And so um, one of the interesting aspects of that is as I continue to do that, what I find really interesting is I've just kind of accumulated a lot of what I'll call like objective data and individual pieces that's really allowed me to kind of build frameworks, um, you know, like how I think about business problems, health problems, medical like kind of concepts, et cetera. And all of that has actually just kind of added to my ability to understand complex topics. Um, and really then just like distill them down into core ideas. And one of the things I try to do whenever I give a presentation is is I try to do, you know, three things. One is I try to take a really important big idea and distill it down into one or two very singular concepts. That's the first thing. It's like a couple, like an example, a couple of years ago, I gave a talk on diabetes, right? And I, what I really try to do is I try to distill it down to tell people what exactly it is and how does it affect your clients? That's the first thing I always try to do. The second thing I always try to do is I always try to take within the talk big ideas within it and distill it down into like singular graphs, right? If you've ever been to a talk I have given, pretty much every single slide is just like one tiny idea or concept in graphic format. It's like everything's just very simple and clear. And then the third thing is, what can you do with this after you learn it? And so that's part of the career capital you build is you start to build your own way of thinking about and solving problems for people. And then how do you 
convey that out into the world. So that's the podcast today. Uh, thank you guys for the patience of having these be a couple days late this week since I was stranded out of the office in a very cold temperature for a couple days, but I'm back and everything's being recorded on time and we will be back to the regularly scheduled program this week. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. I am Dr. Brad. I'm out of here. I'll see you guys later.